0: Well, good morning, church. Great to see you, guests. We're so glad you're with us. Those watching online, glad you were with us as well. We are uh, week four in a five-week series we have called "Wisdom for Life." We've just been looking in God's Word, specifically the Book of Proverbs, trying to glean wisdom for key elements of our life. So, before diving in today, I also want to give you a little bit of a heads up where we're going in the weeks to come. Next week, we'll wrap up this series. And then in two weeks, we're going to be launching our summer series. Can you believe I just said the word summer, right? Woo! Summer. Bring them all summer. So, summer's coming. And that series is going to be called Aha Moments. And uh, we're going to be looking at parables of Jesus from the book of Luke. And we'll be doing that all summer. And Jesus would take profound truths. And then just pack them in these incredible stories and comparisons that once you understand the meaning, it's kind of like this aha moment that would then drive understanding and application in your life about how to live for Christ. And so we're going to be doing that. And we have a quarterly recommended read that we give as a church and so the recommended read going into the summer would, would actually be a decent companion for uh, this series. It's a book called AHA, and it's uh, abbreviations for Awakening, Honesty, and Action. And it's honestly just a look uh, deeper at the specific parable that Jesus tells of the prodigal son or the lost son. And so if you're looking for something to add to your reading over the summer to grow you spiritually, this is something you can throw in the mix. You can find it at Amazon or at ChristianBook.com and pick yourself up one if you want to uh, be part of that. So that's going to be happening in a couple weeks. But today we get to look again at wisdom for life and specifically wisdom for aging, all right? Isn't that, like, you guys woke up this morning going, I hope we go to church and get to talk about growing old. woo this is awesome. <laughs> and specifically on that topic, we're gonna, we're gonna talk today about aging wisely. Aging wisely. Now, I'm currently 47, and like many of you, I just find myself going, I thought it would take longer to get older, Right? Like, you're just staring down some of the numbers coming, and you're like, man, I just thought it would take longer to get older. And when we look at age and getting older, there's a lot of funny sayings out there. There's some profound sayings out there. There's a lot of different things. A couple that grabbed my attention this week, and, and, or that I remember. One is, the days are long, but the years are short. That's right. And if you're a mom with little, little kids, you're like, the days are very, very long, Okay. <laughs> But as you get older, it's like, man, the years do go short. And some of you sitting here with like kids getting ready to graduate or empty nesting, you're like, oh my goodness, like where was it? I was just holding them, right? And so the the days go long, but the years uh, are short. Also, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional, right? (laughs) Thank you, Walt Disney, for that one. Okay, that was from Walt Disney. Uh, Don't let getting older get you down. It's too hard to get back up, (laughs) all right? Uh, We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Ooh, okay, yeah, some of you are going, hmm. How about this? Inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So we can talk about aging all day long, but but aging is just not an option. Uh, It doesn't matter how much you exercise, work out, what you eat, uh, what kind of fast car you're going to start driving, or what you put on your face and your head. Aging is not an option, but... How you live out the aging process and the impact you make in the lives of others is an option. The option is, are you going to age foolishly or are you going to age wisely? And if you age foolishly, uh, you tend to be gripped with fear. Bitterness starts to creep in and regret, and you start to kind of get uglier as you get older. And I'm not just talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about like our character can get ugly, our attitude can sour, our perspective on things, and, and all of those things can start to, that's, that's aging foolishly. But if you age wisely, you can age with faith and joy, imparting gained wisdom and making a positive difference in the lives of others. And my encouragement to you today is this, if you choose to age wisely, it will be a joy to you, and it will do good for the next generation, and it will bring God glory if we choose to age wisely. So let's dive into a few Proverbs as well as some other supporting verses, talk about getting insights today from God on how to age wisely. Now, to age wisely, one thing we can learn from Proverbs is just own it. Like you're getting older, you're aging, just own it. All right. Proverbs twenty twenty nine says this: the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now I heard one comedian say that gray hair is God's graffiti. Um, perhaps, but it's good graffiti. It's beautiful in nature. It's designed to be a visible sign of experience and wisdom. Now some of us have grown in so much wisdom that it just blew our hair right off. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> But these proverbs, uh, this proverb right here, gives us great contrast between, you know, younger and older. And typically in our youthfulness, we experience, you know, our strength. And we pride ourselves in our strength and our stamina when we're younger. But when we get older, it's the life experience and wisdom that comes with gray hair that we start to appreciate. Now, gray hair is God's indicator of being seasoned in life. It implies, doesn't always guarantee, but it implies maturity and wisdom and learning that's been acquired through life experience and knowledge gained by uh, endurance, a lot of times through affliction. That's what we see a lot of times with gray hair. And aging wisely is oftentimes demonstrated as we learn to practice restraint as we get older. We start to calculate what to do, what not to do, what's wise, what's unwise. Uh, We start to uh, have an acute sense of risk versus reward when we make choices. And we start to think of the classic phrase of working smarter, not harder. That can be part of aging wisely, but we know that as we get older, wisdom can become more um, online. Job 12.12 says, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. So while we're in our youth, there's usually this greater degree of energy, creativity, stamina, and strength, but as we age, we accumulate knowledge and wisdom over time. And the Lord is saying that this is a splendor for us it's another way to say that is it's an honor. It's an honor. It's an, an adornment that indicates a status of wisdom, which is funny because we fight the gray. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to dye your hair or anything like that. One, one lady came up to me after the last service, and she said, my little, my little daughter calls gray wisdom highlights. I'm like, okay, oh, isn't that cute? Okay. But, but we fight the gray, typically. We want the benefits of getting older without looking like it. And so I know recently in, in my home, my wife's like, oh, I love the gray coming in in your beard. Would you just keep it? I'm like, says the woman who dyes her hair, you know? <laughs> but she says, yeah, but see, you look distinguished. I'm like, distinguished is cryptic for old, okay? <laughs> but, but, you know, we, I got to own it a little bit, okay? So we, we, we see this in this verse, and we start to realize that God wants us to see the value and the benefits that come with age, which leads us to own it instead of dismiss it or avoid it. The younger we are, the more we need to get wisdom. The older we get, the more we need to lean into the wisdom. I also notice here in this passage that if the glory of the young is their strength and the splendor of the, gray, uh, the age is the gray hair, then we see a mutually complementing scenario developing here. It's not that youthfulness is better or that uh, getting older is better. Each has its own glory. Each has its own advantages and disadvantages, which when we tap into it and lean into it, it makes us a really good team. That, that's why one of our passions here at CVC is linked generations, because we make a good team. If we can see the young people harnessing their energy for the glory of God, and we see as we age the elder people harnessing their wisdom for the glory of God, we make a great team together. And so as we get older, we we don't dismiss the young people and their energy. It's life-giving, and they they can do things that we can't in their youthfulness. And as a young person, you you don't want to dismiss older people, think they're out of touch. They have wisdom and a perspective that you just don't have, and they've earned it through a lot of what they've gone through in life, and you would be very wise to learn from them, not to dismiss what they have to offer. And so we need to employ our strength or our wisdom for God's glory. We see that when generations work together. Also, while on this point of owning our age and grain, I want us to see another proverb. Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So as mentioned earlier, aging is not an option, but what we do while we're aging is this righteous life refers to our way that we walk with God and the way that we walk with our fellow man. As we age... Every decision we make, every attitude we adopt, every lesson we choose to learn or not learn from, every regret that we cultivate, every relationship that we either run from or run to starts to shape whether we will become bitter as we get older or whether we will get better as we get older. And those of us that choose to age foolishly tend to get bitter, and those of us who choose to age wisely tend to get better. Aging just reveals that in our life. Aging has a way of truly revealing what's in your heart, what you truly value, who you truly worship. And I saw a thought-provoking quote by Christian counselor and author, Paul David Tripp, recently. He wrote a book called Living in the Middle, just kind of addressing some of the issues of middle age. And he said, the grief of midlife is not simply that we all collect things to regret, that we all fear getting old, or that we all mourn the demise of our dreams. We mourn the fact that midlife exposes our idol's fundamental inability to deliver. Midlife doesn't introduce you to a new you. It forces you to admit who you've been all along. And so as we get older, it starts to strip down, you know, all the stuff that you're putting, you know, your strength, your popularity, you know, the money, whatever it is, like, that stuff can be stripped away, leaving you bare to what's really your confidence in life. Is it the Lord or is it this other stuff? Is it the Lord or yourself? And it was there the whole time. But maybe age reveals it unlike any other aspect of life. And so we can be encouraged. We do not have to feel defeated by aging. We do not have to feel paralyzed by regret. We do not have to be discouraged by dreams that were never realized. That's not going to do us any good. Remember, Jesus said that each day has enough what of its own? trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So if every day has enough trouble of its own, why do we want to add to the trouble by living in regret? Why do we want to add to the trouble by stressing about what's coming? And so each day's got enough issues, right? And and we just cling to the Lord in those issues, but we compound the stress and the discouragement. We're like, oh, I'm living in regret of what happened, you know, years ago, and I'm kind of stressing and freaking out about what's going to happen. And it's like, <laughs> sometimes I think I don't know what Bible version says this, but sometimes I think Jesus just says, "Chill out, you know," and just walk with me. And each day's got new things for you, new 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 wisdom to gain, new experiences to have, new seasons to embrace. That's part of aging wisely. And part of this wiseness can also have this attachment of righteousness, which we can't generate on our own. Righteousness only can come from knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord. Now, gray hair can display age and experience, but it doesn't mean it always displays true wisdom. And as we've been studying wisdom over these last weeks, if you've been tracking, or maybe for the sake of those of you who are new, there's basically like two types of wisdom, right? There's earthly wisdom. You know, man-centric wisdom, which we, you know, in God's grace, His general grace, we, we all get wiser as we get older, hopefully, and learn from our mistakes. They say that a smart person learns from their mistakes, and that a wise person learns from the mistakes of others, right? And so hopefully, you know, that, that's just God's general grace to us. We, we all have that ability, but there's a ceiling on that kind of wisdom. But when we come to the place where we acknowledge that we're sinful people, that there's an inner rebel and an inner atheist inside of us that wants to rule and reign, and that, that puts this barrier between us and God that is permanent unless God did something about it. And God did something about it. We're just saying about it, right? That in Christ, who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the grave, that barrier is removed. And once we come into that relationship with Christ, he gives us a different kind of wisdom. He now gives us what's called a heavenly wisdom. James, The book of James talks about this. And so heavenly wisdom is like on a whole other level. It's a divine download through God's word, through God's spirit of how we can operate. And so this happens when we come to Christ. And what's so beautiful is that when you repent of your sin and humbly come to God saying, you're the boss, I'm not. (laughs) I'm broken, you can fix me. I want to spend forever with you, you know, forgiveness of sins. When we come to that moment, two amazing things happen. First, God imputes the righteousness of Christ on us. And second, he infuses his wisdom into our life. So he, he basically gives us the righteousness that we can't give on our own. And he gives us the wisdom we can't get on our own. Like, why wouldn't you want Christ, right? And so this is part of what happens. And this is this heavenly wisdom that we can operate by, operate by but it's in Christ. It comes at the new birth. When we surrender our life to Christ, we get this wisdom. Colossians 2.3, speaking of Christ, says about him that it's in him whom are hidden, everyone say all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ is all the wisdom and treasures of knowledge. And when Christ comes to dwell in us, now we have access to all the wisdom of knowledge that the Lord has through Christ. Also in 1 Corinthians one thirty, it says, and because of him you're in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. And so when we come to Christ, we receive this wisdom that comes from righteousness, which is acquired through Christ. And we're not talking about wisdom like just to navigate life. We're talking about true wisdom, fueled by God's word, empowered by God's spirit. It chokes out the inner rebel. It chokes out the inner atheist and lets us walk in a restored relationship with Christ. And so therefore, as we age... And if we choose to age wisely, each year that passes gives us more time and opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to refine us and to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ. Which means time might not be your body's friend, but time is your soul's friend time is your soul's friend as you grow and the wisdom and the maturity and the Christ likeness keeps coming online stronger and stronger as we live surrendered to Christ so let me ask you in light of that how can you better enjoy the state of life you're in whether it's midlife or after that whatever even as young people how can you better enjoy the state of life you're in that instead of letting regret or fear or discouragement govern your life you can better Own your age and the wisdom that God has given you and walk with the Lord in Christ and join, owning what is now yours as you age. So aging wisely means that instead of lamenting what we lose as we age, we start to celebrate and enjoy what we gain as we age. And if we learn to own our aging process, it will bring joy to us, it will give good to the next generation, and it will give glory to God. And so aging wisely means we own it. We own our aging process, but also it means that we use it. We own it and we use it. Proverbs 17:6 speaks to aging in this way. It says, "Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's." So as we age, the opportunity to influence the next generation increases. Now primarily, that's our immediate family, as this verse is talking about, our kids our grandkids. See, children are a blessing from God, and this verse speaks of the joy that comes with grandkids. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm not looking to be a grandparent anytime soon. Lord willing, that's down the road a bit. But what we're seeing here is that there's this unique joy. As we look at this verse, it speaks about the grandchildren of the crown, this adornment of joy for the aged. And every grandparent I've ever met just absolutely geeks out and is giddy about their grandkids, right? You absolutely love your grandkids. There's this unique joy that comes online with not having kids of your kids, And so you start to see that now this opportunity to invest in the next generation and influence the next generation primarily comes through your own physical line. And so you embrace it. You use the wisdom God's giving you now, not just for your benefit, not just for your kid's benefit, but hopefully to your grandkids' benefit. And hopefully that will be passed on to your great-grandkids' benefit. This, This is the glory of that great crown. But we also see here there's another mutual giving. That just as the age, you get a lot of joy out of their grandkids and what they can give their grandkids through their spiritual legacy, if you will, also for the young to look upwards and go, my parents and my grandparents, how good it is to get a good and godly legacy. And it's hard because it might not come online right away, but later on at some point, you, you typically want to look back at your parents and grandparents and go, maybe we didn't always agree or maybe I would have done things different, but man, I'm so grateful that I had a mom and dad who loved the Lord, or I had a grandma and grandpa who loved the Lord. And I know when we talk like this, like inevitably we're triggering pain for some of you because you're going, I I don't have that kind of legacy. I didn't have a godly mom and dad. Or, Or maybe there's just a relational splintering going on in your relationship. I just want to encourage you that as far as a godly legacy is concerned, it's never too late to pick up a godly legacy and pass it on. It's just like a baton. You just pick it up. You can just pick it up and pass it on. It's never too late to pick one up, even if you didn't get one, and and pass it on to the next generations. And it's never too late to pick one up. Maybe you have a godly mom and dad, godly grandma and grandpa that have tried to pass the baton of walking with the Lord and faith the Lord to you. You're like, I don't want anything to do with that. It's never too late at some point to go like, man, I never saw how valuable that was. But now I do. I want that. It's it's never too late to do that. And so we we impart, we use the wisdom God gives us when we uh, age wisely to the next generation. But what I love about this is, yes, primarily to our immediate family, but not exclusively to our immediate family. This goes beyond that to whoever is in range of us personally in the next generation. We're called to not just have a physical legacy of spiritual investment, but really a spiritual uh, legacy of spiritual influence into the lives of other people. And so all of us, all of you, even if you're young, you're a high schooler, you have influence into young kids. All of us have the ability to influence the next generation, whether that's parents, you know, or down to, you know, kids, or whether that's nephews and nieces or family friends and their kids, or their neighborhood kids, or maybe it's someone you babysit, or maybe it's someone you're in life group with and their families. All of us have a context where we can impact the next generation and use, use what God's teaching us for their benefit, for their good. I'm reminded of something that the Apostle Paul said. I'm sorry, the, the Apostle John said. He said in th- uh, 3 John 4, I have no greater joy Than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, I love this. He's speaking about the joy of knowing that his children are walking in the truth of the Lord, and every parent and grandparent, even great-grandparent in this room, that resonates with your heart, right? Because that's how you feel. Like the greatest joy isn't that you know your kids and grandkids are making good money. Your greatest joy, not, not that you're not happy about that, you are, but your greatest joy isn't that they've got a good house or they just got married or whatever. Your greatest joy is going to know that they are walking in the truth of the Lord, right? Yes. But what I love about this passage is John's not talking about his biological children. John's talking about the people he's invested in. When he wrote this letter, he wrote it to and Gaius. He's talking to him. So he's talking about people he's discipled. So this is true for all of us. Whoever you're investing in of the next generation, your kids, you know, whoever it is, it's our heart that says we have no greater joy. We echo John here, no greater joy than to hear that those children, those spiritual children are walking in the truth. And so as we age wisely... Let's be motivated and faithful to use our lives to impact the next generation, to leverage our lives and our resources for their good and for God's glory. Now, when I say that word leverage, I want to make sure you understand what that means. The word leverage means to use something to its maximum advantage. To use something to its maximum advantage. Are you using your life? Are you using your resources to its maximum advantage for the next generation in Christ? Because that's what God's called us to do. Now, one of the ways we do that is through influence our lives. Also, is through inheritance through resources. We see in uh, Psalm seventy-one, eighteen. The psalmist says, "So even at old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim Your might to another generation." your power to all those who come. Part of our uh, uh, influence is through the relationship, the proclaiming. You've got to get close to people in the next generation so that you can proclaim God's goodness. And we proclaim God's goodness in universal history, and we proclaim God's goodness in our personal history. And it's so valuable when you tell stories to your kids, grandkids, to whatever person of the next generation that you have an opportunity to invest in about how you've seen God show up in tough times, the lessons that God's taught you. Because if, if they catch on quick, like teenagers, listen, if you catch on quick, a smart person learns from the mistakes and a wise person learns from the mistakes of others, you will be very wise if you learn from the mistakes of your parents, your grandparents, and any other adult that's speaking into your life. And so we, we proclaim God's goodness in our lives through our relationships. And so we, we speak about the Lord. We write about the Lord. We let um, the next generation look at our lives and go, you are so far from perfect, but you love the Lord. Man, you definitely don't have it all together. But I could tell this about you. You absolutely love God, and you know what? You love me too. And that, that that's the influence of our lives, one of the greatest and most Powerful ways we can influence the next generation for their good is to just constantly display faithfulness to the Lord through the ups and the downs and the all-arounds. <laughs> it's really what it's about. But also, we don't just use our influence, we use inheritance. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Now, when you study the Old Testament... This word inheritance primarily is a reference to land and possessions. So, yes, there's this part of where we pass on our physical estate. We pass on uh, whatever resources God has allowed us to have. We pass that on to the next generation through our will, through our estate planning, all those kinds of things, right? And and we we hope that it's going to care for our kids and their kids, and we want that to, to go on. But when you go to the New Testament... When you hear the word inheritance and you start to look at that concept, it's primarily a reference to heaven and God's kingdom. And so the other part of inheritance is that the inheritance we leave behind isn't just a physical one for care, but it's also to be how can we personally move the ball for God's work with our resources and with our influence. And so we want to be pointing the next generation around the world to heaven through our inheritance, so through the physical inheritance, our will, our distribution, which just on that note, um, I want to, I know we get that, but I want to bend our mind just a second on that note. Now, we have a faithful group of people that serve here at CVC in a ministry called Generous Living, and they just lead small groups and classes and bring opportunities to help us try to manage the resources God's given us well. And so we've done, like, you know, estate planning seminars, and some of you have benefited from those greatly. And uh, a woman in that ministry is named Brenda, and she gave myself and some other people an interesting book. It's a very simple read, it's a very intriguing read. Uh, It's called Inheritology, okay? And Inheritology is a playful title combining two words inheritance and idolatry. Because what happens is, if you were to receive an inheritance, it could probably be used to reveal the idolatry in your life, who you really worship, what you're really about. How much of that inheritance would go to God's work and how much would be for self-interest. Also, the inheritance that we give to the next generation, how much of it can be used for their idolatry? How much of it's going to be used for God's work versus self-interest? And in this book, they really unpack the concept of as we make our estate planning, make sure we take care of the needs of our family members, but what are we doing for God's work around the world as well? And so they unpack really what they're seeing as a trend of what could be the most unprecedented transfer of wealth in history. That this current generation is going to transfer the most amount of wealth to the next generation. They're estimating anywhere between 40 to $120 trillion going to the next generation. Which means that they're estimating Christians okay, are going to have about $5 trillion dollars. Of that percentage, these are all estimates, right? But if the Christian population of the next generation has $5 trillion given to them, what are they going to do with it? And how much of it's going to go to God's work? The alarming statistic is that as we're trending, the next generation is actually becoming less generous with God's resources. That's what they're seeing. So you're connecting the dots. Next generation is going to have more than anyone else, but they're going to want to do less with it about God's work. And so how are you going to take your estate and make sure that God's still going to get some of his work out of it. And so one example they give, and and something that we've talked about here, is Bible translation. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago. We had a a Bible translation um, representative from Wycliffe, right? So Wycliffe estimates that there's about 1,700 unreached languages so far, untranslated languages. And in order to translate 1,700 languages in the Bible, they're thinking that's going to take about a billion dollars. About a billion dollars to translate the next the last 1700 languages known for bible translation. Well, a billion dollars is 0.2% of 5 trillion. Which means we could see the bible translated into every known language in our lifetime. But the next generations on point is that what they're going to do with it? Are they going to build the orphanages? Are they going to make sure God's word goes forward? Or we want to see that evaporate. So as we're talking about giving our inheritance to the next generation, to age wisely means we're not just going to write a blank check and go, hey, hey, have fun. We go, hey, we want to use it wisely. We want to bless you. We want to take care of you. Also, we want to make sure God's work is getting done with, with the resources God's given us. And next generation in this room, we're counting on you to use it wisely for the Lord's work, not just self-interest. And so we think about the physical estate that we leave behind with inheritance, and then we think about the spiritual estate, That our greatest desire is that all of the next generation comes to know the love of Christ, experience the love of Christ, live with the joy of serving Christ. And so our lives are just like we're just trying to be this big arrow pointing everyone in the next generation to the Lord. Because we know what that means. I love what we're reminded of in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Let's just pause there. We're sinners. We don't deserve God's mercy. But because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? Not, not living despair. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What's he talking about? What is this? What's he talking about here? Help me. It's heaven, salvation, heaven, eternity, absolutely, right? It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our greatest hope for the next generation is that they'll just come to know Christ. Love them, serve them, and keep you know, propagating uh, believers for Christ. And the reality is we cannot make our loved ones and the next generation Love Christ. We can't make them. We can't will that in. All we can try to do is love Christ well, love them well, and hope that that influence moves them closer to Christ. And that's a tough pill to swallow, but that's what we're called to do. So how are you trying to creatively influence the next generation toward Christ? How are you trying to creatively use the spiritual inheritance, if you will? Here's just a few ideas of how you can do that. One, just make sure you're praying by name, for your kids and grandkids, that they will come to know the Lord and serve the Lord. Second, give them special spiritual gifts. like Get them Bibles, study Bibles, write you know, notes to them and, and hope that they get into God's Word. Uh, devotionals in the same way, or, or maybe even take like a baton and talk about the significance of a baton and what it, the, what it means to pass something on and maybe engrave a special Bible verse or a phrase of, of what your heart is for them to know Christ and, and give it to them. Like, like, be creative in, in, in how you share the Lord. Financially invest in their spiritual growth, such as money for camp, money for missions trips, Bible education, or spiritual leadership opportunities. Write special notes to them and, 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 and give it to them so that whenever the Lord takes you home, like if, if Christ doesn't come back before you leave, then there's something there, your voice remains to help point them to Christ. One of my favorite ideas is to take a journal and just start writing down, you know, stories of how you saw God show up, verses that mean a lot to you, and just, you know, ways you ways see God work in your life and journal that and then give it to them so that they have something there that can point them to the Lord um, and your voice is still there even when it may not be someday. These are some creative ways. Also, uh, mentoring relationships. Like, you got to get it up close and personal. And so whether that's, you know, one-on-one discipleship or whether that's you're, you're leading a life group or you're involved in a or a men's group or maybe you're serving on a mission trip together or any of these things, you've got to seek out people to pour into and you've got to seek out people to pour into you. Now, I, I talked about this a while back. It's been years now, but I want to bring it back in case uh, some of you weren't here. But there was a season of my life that I just was um, hungry for... Godly men to speak into my life. It's like my, it's like my godly mentors have kind of dried up. I just felt like there was a, like a vacuum of, of just godly men speaking into my life. And so I was hungry for that. So I just sat back at this church that we were at in California, and I just I identified seven men that were older and uh, said they love Jesus, they love their families, and I, I think they actually kind of like me. So I just want to see if they'll do breakfast with me once a month And when i get together with them, just say, like, hey, I just want to talk about this topic. What are your thoughts? And so I called them my sages, right? And so I I, got the seven men, and we would get to breakfast once a month, my seven sages. And and I would just come to the table and say, like, hey, can you just tell me, like, what God's taught you about dealing with anger or dealing with temptation or or whatever the topic was. And I just spent several years listening to these men. So when we moved to Ohio, um, there was kind of a tearful goodbye with some of those guys. And they gave me this framed picture that I had absolutely forgotten about. A waitress one day took a picture of us and then it showed up as we were leaving. And I, I have this framed in my office. It says, Chad seven sages. That's what they wrote. And then look what they put. They put 524 years of living and 364 years of marriage combined. That I just got to sit with and eat pancakes with and drink coffee and just like poke and listen. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're doing that at your table at home. I hope you're listening to your parents and grandparents when they speak into your life instead of like, eh. I hope that you're seeking out if you're a young person and you're like, I'm with you. Like, I don't feel like, seek them out. It's, it's a little awkward. Don't just walk up to some gray haired person today and be like, hey, can you mentor me? You know? I mean, it may work but find opportunities by getting in a life group or seeking out maybe a man or a woman that that you kind of identify as someone who loves Jesus. You know, they love their family well, and you know what, you think they kind of like you. And just say, can I get with you sometimes? Just just learn what you've learned about God. You got to put the effort in. This kind of stuff is how we age wisely. It's how we age wisely. You know, this last week, our, our founding pastor, Rick Duncan, man, we love that guy, He shared a timely post on this topic. First, he quoted a man named Joseph Coughlin, who's the founder of Age Lab at MIT. And here's what Coughlin said. He's in his late 50s. He said, From zero to 21 is about 8,000 days. From 21 to midlife crisis is 8,000 days. From mid 40s to 65, 8,000 days. Nowadays, if you make it to 65, you have a 50 50 chance you'll make it to 85. Another 8,000 days. That's no longer a trip to Disney and to wait for the grandchildren to visit, and die of the virus you get on a cruise. We're talking about rethinking, redefining one-third of adult life, the greatest achievement in the history of humankind. And all we can say is that it's going to make Medicare go broke Why don't we take the one-third and create new stories, new rituals, new mythologies for people as they age? And then Pastor Rick put this. He goes, hmm, all you boomers, think with me. What will I do for Jesus with those extra 8,000 days that God might give me? What are you doing with the days God's given you? What are you going to do with the extra days God gives you? Are you going to age foolishly, fear, regret, regret? Bitterness. Go out old and ugly. Are you going to age wisely? Sought after because of wisdom and your relationship with the Lord and your encouragement to the next generation. I want to age wisely, don't you? I want to influence and impact the next generation for Christ, don't you? I want to leave an inheritance that that God's going to go, well done. Don't you? And here's the thing. If we do, if we do, It's going to bring you joy. It's going to put a smile on your heart and on your face. And it's going to do good to the next generation. There's a benefit for them. And it's going to glorify God if we do that. For some of you, the first step is to come to Christ. Some of you don't have a relationship with Christ. You need Christ. And so my encouragement to you today is like, on top of all this cool stuff like heaven and heavenly wisdom, You just gotta take the first step of faith and going, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm broken, I've got that inner rebel and that inner atheist in me that just needs to be choked out and shut up finally. Jesus died for you, Jesus rose for you. He invites you into a relationship. Say yes. And if you say yes to Jesus today, we wanna come alongside you as your friends, help you grow in this relationship. But tell us about what the Lord's doing in your heart. You have a program in your hands. In that program is a response card. And in that response card, there's a box that you can check that says, "Giving my life to Christ. Would you mark that today? In a little bit, we're going to receive our offering. This is a time where we pour out our gratitude to the Lord for all he gives us. We demonstrate an investment in his work. Would you just take that piece of paper, if you give your life to Christ today, and drop it in the basket? We'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow. If you're online today and you don't have Christ, email us at connect at cvconline.org we we'll we get in touch with you, For the rest of us that know Christ, let's, let's age wisely. What I want to do is I want to pray about this. And I've invited a couple people to help me do that. And so I'm going to invite Gene and Tobin to come up. I think we're aware that sometimes the generations don't always connect well. We need God to help us connect well. And so I've asked Jean, who is just an awesome woman of God that we love. She's been part of our church family for years. Just to, just to pray for the next generations. Just to pray over the next generations. I am told when a young man, his family's been in our church for years. Um, they love the Lord. He's growing in the Lord. I've asked him to pray for the older generations that are trying to pour down on us. And so the three of us are going to pray, but we're inviting you to pray with us. So I'm going to ask, you, can you stand, please? Can we just commit this prayer time to the Lord? as we just come before him and ask him to do something with what we've talked about today. Let's pray.
1: Lord, I just continue to worship you and praise you for who you are, the great I am, Lord God. And stand before you and just give testimony to your faithfulness and your greatness, Lord, for being with me in all situations, Lord. Lord, I thank you for um, the love that you shed upon us, Lord. And I pray for this next generation I pray that they might know you as the mighty God, Lord, the mighty God that loves us, Lord, that is a delight to serve. It is wonderful to be called your servant to do your bidding, Lord. Lord, I pray for wisdom for them, that they would learn from uh, the mistakes of this generation, my generation, my mistakes, Lord. And because of their seeking you through your prayer and your word, Lord, that they would grow in wisdom to follow you and avoid some of those mistakes, Lord. That they would honor you in their thoughts and their words and their deeds, Lord. That you would draw them closer to you as they mature. That you would um, give them the strength to withhold any enticement from the world that wants to trick and entangle lord that you would give them the freedom of following you and the greater joy of knowing you lord you are the truth lord you are the peace that passes all understanding you are the prince of peace i praise you in jesus name amen
2: lord I, i thank you for the incredible way that you've made us That as we get older, we experience different things and we can grow in wisdom. Lord, thank you that you've imparted this wisdom on those who have gone before me and my fellow uh, young generation. Lord, I pray that the wisdom that you've imparted to them that they would share with the younger generations. With those who are coming up behind them, Lord. I pray that those who have gone before me, that, that they will not grieve over the fact that they're losing their strength, that their body is breaking down, but that they would find joy in the fact that with the gray hair and the crown of glory, uh, that wisdom is coming and that they can use that wisdom. They can be wise and share that with the younger generations so that we will not make the same mistakes and that we will grow closer to the Lord. I pray that they would understand this dichotomy and take, take joy in that. And that as the younger generation, that we would respect this. And that there would be a mutual respect on both sides of these relationships. Help us not to be narrow-minded in the way that we look at this. And just think of it as grandparents and children mentoring grandchildren. Uh, but that we would even look at it in high schools. Like high schoolers mentoring middle schoolers. And those in their 80s mentoring those in their 50s. Lord, I just pray that as the generations above me grow in wisdom, that they would share this and bring glory to you in it and do it in humility. And in the end, it will bring them joy as you promise.
0: Father, tell us in your word that the glory of young men is their strength. So Lord, we pray for the young generations that have strength. Thank you for giving strength. What a gift. Or would they use it, would they employ it for your glory, for your purposes? Now, break down whatever internal barriers in the heart, resistance, pride, whatever it is, Lord, that keeps them, Lord, from just receiving and growing. Lord, would they just use their strength for you, for your glory, for your purposes? Father, thank you to remind us that the splendor of the old is their gray hair. <laughs> and Father, thank you for the wisdom you've made available to all of us, but especially to those of us on the other end of the spectrum of age. God, may we use this wisdom. May we not be prideful. May we not be hypocritical. But, Lord, may we graciously, humbly use the wisdom you give us to impact and influence the next generations for your glory. So, Father, I pray that today we can all take whatever action step you've implanted in our heart and help us walk out of here to live wisely and to age wisely. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together, amen.